This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to In the Workplace on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again are Professor Peter Capelli and Dan O'Mara. Hey, folks, welcome back. You're in the workplace. I'm Dan O'Mara. Oh, I'm Peter Capelli. I'm professor the same of management. People we were before. And professor, still a professor of management here at the Wharton School, and Dan is still a partner at Ogletree Deacons in Philadelphia. Although he's pining to be a coroner now yeah. because of the groupies. Yeah, that's so um, true. I imagine it's hard to think about what. Well, people don't believe coroner. the groupies we have here on talk radio. <laughs> yeah, I mean it is well, hard to get out of here at it, the end of the show. Fortunately, man. we have a back door. Yeah, uh, which yeah. is. Uh, very important. Well, speaking of fun things, let's talk about mandatory fun. Dan, you ever had mandatory fun? Yeah. Yeah. Give us an example of what's mandatory fun. Um, you're required to report to the conference room for a birthday cake celebration for someone, even though oh, you're doing yeah. very important stuff, you don't want to go. Yeah. But since everybody in the office hates each other, the idea is if you have cake together, you'll start to like each other. I think you've nailed it. Uh, so with us is Adam Waits, who's Associate Professor of Management and Organizations at the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern, going to talk to us about the dangers of mandatory fun. Adam, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Adam, how did you get interested in mandatory fun? Did you not have enough fun as a youngster or something? What uh, what what, uh, what happened childhood here? Childhood experiences you tell, want to tell, tell us about. Yeah, tell us, tell, tell. Yeah, so I should say at the outset, I'm not, I'm not anti-fun. Good. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of fun, uh, and uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of spontaneous fun. Okay. Uh, but I've had some personal experiences in the workplace where where forced fun has, has backfired. Okay. And I'm also a psychologist that thinks about, you know, how do humans interact with each other, what leads people to have positive social connections. And uh, I figured, I, I sort of thought about, there's a few factors of the fun in the workplace idea that are really set up for failure. So that's what I wanted to write about in my Harvard Business Review piece. Okay. Give people a, a sense, maybe from your own experience, uh, about an example of what mandatory fun looks like. Yeah. So, you know, I think in movies, there's a sort of caricature of uh, company retreats with trust falls or oh, yeah. um, office holiday parties that can be anywhere from raucous to to awkward. But I'm also just talking about things that are are, are much simpler, like um, you know a, a mandated lunch where instead of us all brown bagging it or going out to uh, you know grab something at, mm -hmm. at Subway or something like that. We all come together uh, for a, a nice catered gourmet lunch, and the idea is gets us out of our office, and uh, we're supposed to mix and mingle and, and congregate and connect and become friends, not just colleagues. And and then we hope that happens, but uh, often it doesn't. Uh, I want to tell just a quick anecdote about this um, Warden School yeah. story, and that is that we had, um, many years ago now, uh, somebody in the administration got the idea that it would be great to have free coffee for everybody. And I suspect the idea was that, um, you know, we would mingle. We would, would chat around yeah. the coffee and, area. And I must say, in England, when they do this, like at Oxford and Cambridge, everybody comes down for coffee hour or tea, whatever mm -hmm. it is. 
Everybody stops what they're doing. It's part of their day, and you're sitting around talking to random people. Um, and we got a fancy pants coffee machine, and they put it in a closet. <laughs> so it was impossible Perfect. to uh, talk to anybody. You took your got your coffee and went back to your office. So it may have been a personal productivity enhancer, but yeah. it uh, did not actually do enough for mingling. Mm-hmm. So, Adam, let's talk a little bit about why these things don't work. Why do these kind of forced social events don't work, but and, and why did you know? How do they backfire? I mean, what's wrong with them? Somebody would say, "Well, what's wrong? We try to have a little fun. We yeah. try to get people together, and if they don't like it, so what? At least we try." Yeah. So let's just talk about why they don't necessarily work. Okay. Um, and the uh, example I gave from my own experience is you know, we uh, we go to this uh, this mandatory lunch with each other. It's a weekly lunch. The goal is to get us out of our office talk with each other, you know, talk about family, talk about hobbies, talk about leisure. And what does everyone talk about? Well, we talk about work Hmm. because that's the one thing that we all have in common. And, Hmm. uh, you know, psychologists call that the common information effect, or it goes by other names. And this is something that plagues teams of all sorts. You have a bunch of really smart people with widely diverse knowledge and backgrounds and experiences. Uh, You get them in a room together and they talk about whatever comes up first, and usually that thing is the one thing that they have in common. So you're not really bridging any relationships or opening new doors. You're mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. centering people on what they already yeah. know. Let me just test this. Dan, do you guys ever have lunches at the law firm, down at the shop in the law firms? Yes. And what do you guys do? What do you talk about? Well... Before the business starts, you just talk about whatever you want, trips, vacations. So people are not necessarily just talking about law. Hmm? No, typically you try not to talk about law until you need to. Mm -hmm. You know, if there's an agenda item, but before you get to that, Mm -hmm. talk about anything but that. Yeah, let's uh, let me just ask you about this a a little bit, Adam. I I get the idea, and I know it it does happen. Um, When I was department chair here, one of the things I did was create a mandatory. Not mandatory. A uh, a free Highly lunch. Highly recommended. A free lunch, lunch. Uh, for the yeah. faculty. You could c- come if you want. Yeah. And back to our earlier conversation about rationalizing, Dan, I'm not rationalizing <laughs> just because this was my idea. Just because uh, the questionnaire can, said we hate this. Yeah. Peter thinks it's a good idea. We, we hate, hate this. It. Um, but it's still going on. And uh, <laughs> people typically, as far as I can tell, are talking politics, sports. I mean, nobody's talking work. Um, yeah. Do you have a sense of why that, why sometimes it this happens that it's they're just stuck in work mode, and why sometimes it does, they are talking about other things. Yeah, so I imagine that in groups where there's already a high level of trust or okay. a high desire to get to know others, that these uh, mandatory or optional lunches can be quite effective. Okay. You already have a sense that people want to get to know each other more. Uh, there's a very positive vibe in the office. Then what you're doing, what you're describing, is enabling people to get out of the office and actually act on that. Yeah. And you're yeah. uh, actually doing something very nice, which is you're not forcing them to make the awkward move of asking someone out to lunch that yeah. they've never talked to mm-hmm. before, or mm-hmm. maybe it's a subordinate who wants to talk to a superior or something like that. So I think uh, these mandatory or quasi-mandatory fun events can be positive mm-hmm. if there's already 
trust in the room. Yep. Uh, I think for groups like the one I experienced, there just wasn't that baseline level of trust yep. or, or okay. what we would call an affiliative motive, yeah. know, a desire to connect. Right. So it's going to uh, probably going to sound like if things are bad, this could really make it worse. Uh, let me go yeah. uh, help you get through your list here. So one of the reasons why this happens is this common information effect, and that is least common denominator kind of thing. We all know something about work. It's important to us. So that's what we end up talking about. What else happens that makes these exercises not so useful? Yeah. So one other thing that happens that happens in society is that like people uh, attract to each other. Sociologists call this homophily. Mm -hmm. Uh, People of similar races, similar backgrounds, similar genders, they pair up. So you don't get the benefits of mingling that we often hope for, where uh, a diverse group all of a sudden forms these very cross-racial, cross-ethnic friendships, even um, cross-specialization. If you have a sociologist and a psychologist in the room, Mm -hmm. um, you Mm -hmm. know, you want them to speak, but maybe the sociologist talk to the sociologist and the psychologist to the psychologist. So that's another way that uh, these events don't often maximize social connection. Yep. And then the thir- third one... Can I, can I just stop you on that oh, one? Yeah. And I want yeah, to sure. check, check in with Dan on this. So here's my experience about faculty parties, and Adam, you can tell me if this resonates with yours, is that people hang by tenure, non-tenure, uh-huh. uh, and, and they actually hang out by full professor, associate professor, assistant professor, and PhD students. They really hang out in those groups. Uh, even at social events. Yeah. Adam, what do you think? What, you got a, a happier group there, or everybody more kumbaya? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not going to air out any dirty laundry. Yeah, oh, that's, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> but, you know, Full actually, professor I, time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think uh, we get fairly disciplinary. Now, one nice thing uh, at Kellogg is we have a new building now, and so I, I'm finally our, our our management department is now on the same floor as the marketing department. Oh. It would make worlds of sense for us to spend more time with each other. But in our previous building, yeah. when we were on different floors. Mm-hmm. We didn't. Right now, we do. So I see the grouping by by discipline, and now uh, yeah. you know through, through architect uh, through right. architecture, we've overcome that barrier. Oh, so you are talking to the marketing guys. Yeah, but simply by you ah. know, the virtue of the proximity principle, ah. that, that they're physically, geographically nearby. Yeah. Now, I, we don't want to get too inside the baseball business school story <laughs> yeah. here. Dan will bang the gong, gong on us for this one. Oh, but good. but I understood at uh, Berkeley, uh, their new uh-huh. building, they were trying to mix everybody up so uh-huh. that you would talk to people from different fields, and it didn't happen. That basically oh, okay. everybody still hung out together with the— <laughs> people you like. So, Dan, do do the labor lawyers, employment lawyers hang out together and the tax lawyers hang out together? And No, that's not the case at all. No. But, but and to, I think it depends on organization, how hierarchical it is. Yeah. And, and, and length of tenure, et cetera, yep. how people will act in these semi-social settings. Yep. But I can see there being a gravitation. You're most comfortable and have most things in common with people of your own rank. Okay. Whether it's talking yeah. about the stock market, you can't really talk about that with the with the lowest ranking people, it, it, right. you know, if, if they're not going to have the money to invest in there, and just generally higher level people might say, "Oh, those lower levels—they're just kissing my butt all the time." It oh, really yeah. makes me it, uncomfortable, etc. It is tricky. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah. It is tricky. I, you know, one thing I do notice at social events is I notice women and men congregating together. Still, you yeah. know, women hang out together, the men hang out together. 
And, like, a, like a junior high dance or yeah, something? Yeah, a little, little bit like that. So, uh, by the way, we're talking with Adam Waits from Kellogg School about uh, the dangers of mandatory fun and basically how these teams uh, or groups operate that keep them sort of separate. Now, some of the research that uh, you know well on, on this is kind of quirky. So tell us about uh, the finding about uh, business executives in, in New York, for example. You put them together in a mixer mix up these folks, uh, and what did you find, or what what did they find, the authors of this study? Right. So this is a study with, with a great title called uh, Do People Mix at Mixers? And this mm-hmm. is work by uh, Paul Ingram and Michael Morris at Columbia University. And this is basically a, um, a, a study done at kind of a high-profile 100-person uh, business person mixer yep. um, and uh, what they what they found was that you know people did mix uh, in terms of encountering people from uh, different sexes races education levels um, uh, jobs um, but um, what they also found was what they called associative homophily where uh, guests were more likely to continue uh, engaging in a particular you know, little subgroup as long as as that subgroup contained one other person of the same race as them. Hmm. So there's okay. a bit of uh, homophily on the racial level. They found, I would say, better than average mixing. Uh, and, and again, the interesting thing about this study was this wasn't necessarily in the workplace. This was bringing a bunch of business people together. Yeah, uh, but I thought, the, I thought part of the punchline there was they they hung out by geography, right? That um, the people yeah. from New York tended to hang out together. Um, yeah. Maybe yeah, they well, and then with people yeah. they already knew, right? Which not yeah. surprising. Yeah. And the one that but, uh, that I thought was most interesting is the, these showing racial effects, right? Or racial differences. Can you say something about those? Tracy right. Dumas study in particular. Yeah. So uh, the the Dumas study basically found an effect of of um of um work-related social events so these are kind of these mandatory fun events when you look at their capacity to generate connection uh they did so they had more more uh, positive effect than you know my pessimism but only for people of the same race so there was uh same race connections but not cross race connections. So that's sort of the the upside and the downside, where mandatory fun events don't maximally uh, give you the type of full-scale connection you would want in an Mm -hmm. organization. Mm -hmm. What do you think drives this? I mean, the people who are doing this, um, first of all, do you think it's the CEOs? Is it the human resource people? Who who do you think is behind the, we're going to get everybody together and we're going to have fun? Who do you think is doing that? Oh, I think it comes from up, up top. And, and the sad thing is that I think a lot of these efforts have really good intentions behind them. Uh, but, you know, a sub sort of purpose of writing this article was to say something about this obsession that CEOs have with, with engagement, getting hmm. people more engaged in their work. 
yeah. uh, more identified with their work, more connected to the workplace. Yeah. Harvard and, Business Review had a whole issue on the 24-7 workplace. Yeah, yeah. And I thought this mandatory fun is a little bit of that mm. obsession with engagement uh, that has good intentions. It comes from uh, up high, but often the implicit message is, don't ever stop working. Yeah. So engage. when they say engagement, they mean we want you thinking about work, we want you caring about work, we want you caring about the organization. That's yeah. what we're talking about, you think? Yeah, and we want you motivated. We want you okay. to yep. feel like you want to be here. How much so, of this do you think is we want you to care about me? That mm-hmm. is, you know, the CEO is going to be there. We're going to have a big party. I want to see everybody there. I'd like to hear a little applause. I'm going to give a little talk. That sort of stuff. That probably varies by CEO personality type. I mean, we do know that one thing that CEOs really want to know is how well they're liked. How well they're liked and uh, am I in the loop? So maybe these events kind of serve that purpose as well. But a lot of the events that I'm describing, the CEO or the, the leader may not even be present. Yep probably true. Uh, One of the things you talk about in in this article in particular is how this bumps up against broader work-life balance things and these longer work days and this concern about being more and more committed to the work. Mandatory fund bumps up against this in sort of obvious ways, but maybe you could spell it out for us. Yeah. Well, uh, there's a finite amount of time we have, and and the, the idea behind getting people to be uh, more engaged in their work through mandatory fun activities, either during the work uh, time hours or not, it simply eats into our free time to space out, hang out with our families, or go play guitar on the weekends or something like that. And so uh, I think... Americans increasingly have poor work-life balance. We're increasingly working more, uh, thinking about work more, uh, viewing work as, as a source of meaning. And I think that crowds out all the other things that make life really rich. And so mm-hmm. that's where I'm, I'm sort of tempering this this message of engagement, which yeah. is very important. With you know, We want to balance that with disengagement, right. letting people... Go. Yeah, you don't want to burn them out, which uh, yeah. appears to be what we're doing. Adam, thanks very much for being with us. Adam is Associate Professor of Management and Organizations at the Kellogg School of Northwestern University. We're talking about his article on the dangers of mandatory fun. So, Dan, I'd like to pursue this with you for just a second and turn to our audience as I physically turn uh, here Fortunately, it's radio. Nobody can see that. Uh, And ask you folks if you're listening and would talk to us a little bit about your experiences with this. So it's Thursday. If it's Thursday when you're listening, uh, it's live. So we will certainly take your call. What I'd like to find out is what kind of examples are you seeing in the workplace, maybe your own place, about mandatory social activities? um, And what are they what are they like uh, some of this, I think, is, you know, we think is a bonding exercise. Some of executive development or what's called executive development is really just a kind of mandatory fun exercise. We have, you know, softball games that the mm-hmm. the company plays and you're supposed to be there or the executive team is supposed to be there. Do you find these social activities cluster by 
hierarchy, that they have social activities just for the senior executives, just for the middle executives. It's like the military. They got an officer's club and everybody else. And, and I'm curious what some of the stranger ones are that have been going on out there. If you've been in an organization or you're in one now that's got required things you're supposed to or heavily encouraged to show up for that are supposed to be fun and possibly are not so much fun. I wonder what they are. We might talk about how to do them differently, too. What do you think? What if do you nobody see? calls in, I'm going to have to uh, develop one of my right. What's my main nickname on the show? The Wet Blanket? Yes, exactly. There you go. So I'm also known as? Uh, the Legal Leprechaun? Yes, a magically litigious. Yeah, there you okay. go. Yep. Back to being a wet blanket. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything that's been said in the last half hour contemplates we want to have a fun workplace and everybody really like each other and be friends. If I'm thinking about the best interests of an employer in yep. terms of profitability or anything else, or if you're a nonprofit advancing a nonprofit mission, I'm thinking where on the fun to sterile spectrum Ooh, yeah. do you want to be? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. There are dangers to coworkers becoming really good friends. Yeah. Um, mm. and, and say everybody's go to friends uh, after work. Yeah. Because yeah. fights can, de- not mm-hmm. fights, but differences can develop at Friday happy hours. Yeah. Ooh, mm-hmm. I saw her first. I should have mm-hmm. got to talk to her. It's it, stupid, yeah. like stuff like that, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Um, that then. Spill back, back into the workplace yeah. on Monday. Yeah. Okay, yeah. you have people not getting along with each other in the workplace, who should be, but yeah. something happened at a social event. Yeah. Could be a misunderstanding. Could be legitimate conflict. Could be they shouldn't have been out uh, uh, right. socializing together in the first place. Yeah. So how fun do you want it to be? And let me just add to that, and I think that's a really interesting question. Um, you can see this in the difference between rural organizations and urban ones. Oh, do tell. So if you're in the country, uh, there's not a lot of people around. You're going to bump into everybody at the grocery store. Yeah. Uh, You're probably in contact with everybody because your kids are in the same school. That's what you're seeing everybody a lot outside of work. In cities or or urban areas, you you often never bump into people. And one of the consequences of that is it is easier to do tough organization change stuff in a city because you're not seeing those people outside of work. If somebody gets fired, you're not running into them in the grocery store. You're not going to see them at the kids' Little League games. Uh, Their spouse is not talking to your spouse, right? And in the country, you know, particularly in small offices and things, everybody goes to the same parties uh, if somebody gets fired or gets in trouble, you know, it's like a death, you know. Maybe I misunderstood you. Were you saying it's easier to implement larger organizational change in a r- rural setting? Sorry, as a- urban. Okay. In, in a city. That, that That's yeah. what I would guess is yeah. because whoever is the catalyst for change has to anticipate resistance to change. Yeah. And if it's in a workplace where it's one-dimensional relationships, okay, here's how we know each other. I'm the boss. You're yeah. my employee. Yeah. Yeah. I don't run into you I'm not in in church. Okay. Yeah. I don't yeah. run into you mm-hmm. at my niece's shower because you're her neighbor. Right. I run into you at work. So this is how I want it to be. Uh, right. I'm sorry if there's resistance to change, but let's try to make this work. You know, this idea. It's, it's harder when you, yeah. you're part of this big web. 
of interlocking relationships. Yeah, and this idea that we sh- that it's bad to compartmentalize your life became popular maybe 20 years or so ago. Um, but compartmentalizing your life can, can be a really useful thing, you know, yeah. like keeping your work separate Keep it from separated. your home life, right? So they're not sp- spilling yeah. over back yeah. and forth. And I think this effort, you know, at, at mandatory fun, let's have social activities, is obviously cutting in the other direction. And I think you're asking a really good question, and that is to what end, why are we yeah. actually doing it, right? And as long as I'm in wet blanket mode. Go, go. Um in terms of determining how fun you want your place to be, how much how much yep. is required. Mm-hmm. Um, when I hear about sort of mandatory or highly encouraged social environments, especially with alcohol there, oh yeah, isn't that the kind of cesspool where sexual and other types of harassment claims generate? Mm-hmm. Um, I think most sophisticated HR people in an organization just block out the two or three days after the annual holiday party to do all the investigations of all the things you know are going to happen <laughs> that haven't happened yet because they happen every year. So why schedule anything on the day after that? You're going to have to be doing that stuff. <laughs> Mandatory okay. fun fallout. Yeah. Like the, these types of things happen so much less when it's just at the workplace and nobody's drunk, okay? Yep. yep. So yep. so another so so another reason you don't want it to be too fun is because it can lead to costly claims and people feeling abused or, or uh, devalued. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, uh, these workplaces where people say, you know, it's just a blast to be there, I- I'm sure there are some, but I don't know that it- – it's hard to imagine ones that are fun in a way that is unrelated to the work, you know? I mean, it's fun to uh, to finish this project, to get this thing to work, all that kind of stuff, but fun in the way that somebody walking in would find fun. You know, you see these stories like the Seattle fish market, yeah. you know that one where they're tossing fish around? Yeah, I've been there, yeah. I've been there. I, I didn't seem to me it was a hoot and a holler, to be honest. I didn't see those guys whooping yeah. it up. Uh, they were doing strange stuff that people watching thought was fun. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't seem to me they're that... Performers they were performers. They were performing, yeah. Ordinarily right. not a performance yeah, job. No, for sure they were but performing. let me give you examples of fun workplaces. Okay. Uh, remember the 70s TV show The Car Wash? No. <laughs> so we had a car wash, and everybody worked there. It was really good friends, and they had fun. Oh, kind of. They, they kind had of. Fun, fun on the kind job. Yep. I think that song, Car Wash, came out of that. Okay. But it was fun on the job. I'll give you another example. Uh, but circuit, whoa, 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 whoa. Circuit. Back up on that. What was uh, what was fun about that? I mean, what was the... It was just people who were, would normally be friends. Okay. They happened to be working together. They didn't yeah. have to work all that hard, or yeah. they did, but their clowning around, their yeah. clowning around had nothing to do with okay. washing a car, yeah. or rarely did it. Yeah. It was just... These are these are a group of people. Yep. Where whatever you had them doing, they'd be having fun together. Uh, let me point okay. out though that that was not real. That right? was a fictional story. <laughs> as long as I well, yeah, but it, it it wouldn't have been a popular movie as it was at the time if it didn't have a touch of reality to some people. Okay? Ooh, I think it maybe it was longing. People wanted okay. that, and you could see why you'd want it. But yeah. your your point, which I think is. Is the right one is is does does the owner want that right or if it's a government job and you're a citizen do you want the you know the license uh, office the Department of Motor Vehicles to be uh, a whooping it up place where they're always having birthday yeah. parties and they're in the back uh, telling jokes the whole time do you want that you even know? that even the preference of the owner uh, one thing is going to vary based on the responsibilities of the employees and how much you can afford to pay them. In a lot, in some workplaces, they they perceive they can't afford to pay the folks a lot, so they want them to come to work. And how do you how do you get them to come to work? You make it sort of fun. You think anybody, have, you think if they can have fun with that? each other? You let them run. You think so? I, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, I I'm not sure. I, the only here's the only place I've ever seen that done consciously, 
and that was at McDonald's, right, where McDonald's has got this quite rigid uh, approach to how hamburgers get cooked. And, you know, it's Mm -hmm. rigid, structured, formal. And by the way, I thought the movie McDonald's, uh, what was the name of the movie? Supersize Me? No, no, no. No. The recent one um, with Michael Keaton in it. Uh, as the star of Ray Kroc, you know. Okay. Um, that one, and it shows the McDonald's brothers setting up their original model, which, you know, was just, just copied. And it was, you know, an assembly line for food. And so if you're working on an assembly line, one of the things you know is it's really, really boring. Mm-hmm. The movie's called The Founder. Yep, thank you, Matt, our producer, uh, for doing that. And the crack team of interns running yes. around behind him yes. who who assisted on that. Um it's really boring work. And so what McDonald's was trying to do was to turn it into something like a game, right, where you're competing yeah. with each other as to how many of these hamburgers you could get done or quality I can numbers. save more raw materials than you guys All can. All that stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't mandatory fun. They were just trying to make the job a little less boring, yeah. right? But we would like to talk about this issue of what goes on in the workplace that is – Required social activities, uh, what they're like, and, you know, are there strange ones that we're seeing, and what actually happens in these? Do people get along, or is it sort of like Adam was describing in his article in in your place, where people actually feel worse, they're there, they're more isolated, they just hang out with the people they already know, all that kind of stuff, and importantly, what could you do differently about it, right? So we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back all happy, because we've got a mandatory half hour left and we're going to talk about fun when we come back so we're going to have fun see you in a minute ain't it fun hey folks welcome back you're in the workplace i'm peter capelli i'm dan omero and this is our mandatory fun yes. half hour we're going to continue this discussion for a little bit here and the discussion is about efforts employers take to try to create activities that are going to be fun for folks to do in the office, uh, or employees, rather, sometimes in the office, sometimes mm-hmm. not. And we'd like to hear from you folks about what these look like. What's your experience? What are these things like besides just, you know, a cocktail party? What do they look like? So give us a call. If it's Thursday when you're listening, we're live. So here you go, one eight four four wharton There's an H in Wharton, or one eight four four nine four two seven eight. Six six. I have been Dan to Christmas parties that were mandatory fun, mm-hmm. and uh, they were required by the company. And uh, some of them, one of these was at a big employer, and they hired a big uh, comedian to come in each mm-hmm. year to come in and do a show, and that was pretty fun. On the other hand, you did have to listen for the first half hour to the CEO give a long speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would say, on balance, was it worth it? Uh, CEO, comedian, free, probably, but touch and go there. Touch Especially and go. you were checking your phone while the CEO was speaking. Yeah, you? and because um, uh, I'm not working. Because you weren't course, there. Right. Uh, <laughs> sp- spouse kicking me uh, all the time. Um, but, uh, you know, the other thing about that one was it was kind of fun, but there was no... Engagement, right? I mean, you're sitting there by yourself, mm-hmm. maybe with your spouse. There's no contact with anybody else. It's a big auditorium. It's fun. It's kind of required. There's no interaction. Um, and here's the interesting question. Would you rather have had that time to just be home? 
That's increasingly where I am these days, yeah. right? Well, we know how fun you are, too. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Just by myself. Yeah. Okay. Before the break, I made my wet blanket case why a business might not want the office to be all that fun. Two main points, one being when people become friends outside and, and companions outside of work. Right. Bad things can happen, and, and they soil workplace relationships. Yeah. Second being sexual and other types of harassment claims arise at these fun events with someone who probably thought they were being fun. Fun. And yeah. it still leads to complaints and possibly lawsuits. Yeah, one person's okay. fun is another person's yeah. unpleasant. So th- that's the reason yeah. you don't want it to be too fun in the situation specific, but I think it can be good business driven towards profitability Hmm. to make certain workplaces more fun. Why is that, you may ask? I am. Why, why, Dan? I think when people have a better social relationship between them, I don't want to say friendship because then people would say, what do you mean by friend? I mean, really, really friend, you do anything for them? No. Mm-hmm. When they have a better social relationship, a better mm, small-scale friendship, okay, um, they communicate better mm-hmm. as to work-related things. Mm-hmm. They're much more likely to... You know, plop down in somebody's office and say what's going on, yeah. and then talk about everything mm-hmm. freely in a relaxed way. And as opposed, to if there were, if not tension, at least sort of a sterile relationship yeah. between mm-hmm. them. Tension bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. tension, and they're less likely to go out to lunch together and to talk about work related things, yeah. and, and and in a way that would advance the employer's All interest. Right. Question back to sure. you: Is it couldn't you do that by getting them to work together? So a lot of people, we know working on common projects, solving common problems, builds relationships too. Wouldn't that be easier and better than trying to get them to create a relationship through foosball or something like that and then hope it applies to law? Yeah, but if if the work if the working together was working so well, why do you have this lack of fun workplace that where you feel you need to enhance the relationship. So the working together is going to happen or not happen on its own. I thought we were talking about what maybe a management not. can do yeah. to... Well, but maybe to, not. Okay. Maybe you know people are working pretty independently, and you could try to do something to make them work together a little more. John's calling from Houston here uh, and has some comments about how to... what he thinks the best way to manage these are. John, how are you? Doing great. Thanks for taking my call. And, John, let me ask you first, are you guys dried out, or uh, how are things in Houston at the moment? Oh, uh, yeah, working very well. The city's pretty uh, pretty awesome. We've got great people, and we're dried out, and we're getting back to normal slowly. We're almost there, not okay. there yet, but uh, good. getting back to normal. Good, good to hear. So what do you think about mandatory fund stuff? Um, I don't care for it at all. I think my private life and public life should be separate. I don't expect, when I work for a company, I don't expect that. Okay. If they offer it. It's a, it's a plus, whatever, but it's nothing that I expect. I don't expect us to have happy hour every Friday yep. or okay. yep. to have a Christmas party because um, it's setting up for failure. If I go to work expecting that, this is, it's not for me to be social. These are not the people – I might work with you, but it doesn't mean I have to like you or I have to invite you mm-hmm. to my birthday party. Yeah, yeah. So yep. I like to keep it separate, and I think it keeps it professional. And I get to – you know, I don't have to know about all the kids you have and yeah. football teams <laughs> yeah. you're involved with. I just – we just work, and we be successful that way. That's fine. Yeah, and it, you raise an interesting question, John, about the social obligations that can develop here. How many Girl Scout cookie boxes, for example, uh, do you end up buying yeah. if you're all good buddies and you're deeply in, ingrained in each other's social life? John, do you fo- in the place where you work or, or worked before, what would you say is a typical you know, required social activity? What sorts of things have you seen? 
So I've been on both ends of the spectrum where there was like a happy hour every Friday. Mm. And and it, it was, you feel obligated because your boss is there. And oh, yeah. like if I didn't mm. go, I feel like, oh, I'm not part of the team because I don't go to happy hour. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm, not doing, I'm not a big drinker. Now you're yep. forcing me to go and drink. And, yep. Yep. You know, so I, I just like, I'm just there to work and to use my talents and skills in an environment to be successful and make this work as a team. Mm-hmm. My How I do in my personal life and what I like to do in my free time. Yeah, I'd rather just say, look, um, congratulations, everyone. We had a great year. Merry Christmas. It's a $100 gift card, Amazon gift card for you guys, mm-hmm. whatever. And I'm mm-hmm. good with that. Yeah. You don't have to have a big party. Yeah, I'll go have yeah. a party by myself. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. John, let me ask this. Did you, did you always feel that way, or did you change your mind after experiences? Ooh. When, when, when I was young, I wanted to be a part of it, and I wanted these social events. I wanted yeah. to be a part of it. Yeah. I wanted to rub elbows with the CEO if I could and things like that. And, of course, it, all that came out of it was just <laughs> bad things. People drinking having fun making a bad joke and then mm. it's like okay i remember what you said last friday and now it's monday yep it was, probably was not a good idea for us to be doing out you know going out and bowling and having beers after work and things like that it's, mm-hmm. let's just let's just work and uh be professional and you know what i want to do on my free time on happy hours and things like that for parties i'll just like yeah. to spend with my family and things like that mm-hmm. And, and also another thing, I'm a salesperson. I was was in sales. Ah. My father, I would always ask him because he was a VP of a large company. I would say, "Hey, Dad, can you take this to work and sell these uh, these <laughs> things for my school for fun? I can win a bike. Uh-huh. You're a big you're a big dog there. I'm going to get like a whole bunch of sales." Right. And he would say, "No." He goes, "But I will allow you to come, and you could ask them, or you could, if if they want, I could, you know, you could ask them. I'm not going to ask them." Oh. And um, hmm. and it was a better. Now I became a professional salesperson. I don't know if that's why it, that was the case. But yeah. um, how did, did you how like did you do how did how did you do by the way with your dad's subordinates? Did they snap the stuff and up? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Great, but he, he um, at the very beginning he did not allow me to do that because he felt like people were so obligated to buy from him because yeah. he was you know a yeah. boss. Yeah, he was right. Later on, later after I begged him after like my, my senior year. I think he allowed me to do it, but he asked me to, you're going to have to call these people and ask them, introduce yourself, uh, tell them okay. who you are, yep. and then tell them the situation. Don't mm-hmm. just give it to me, and I put it on the billboard yep. in, the, in the office yep. where people sign up, and then, you know, you got to right, work for it. Right, yeah. right. At least a little learning experience. John, thanks very much for being with us. That's an interesting yeah. one. And John asks, raises an interesting question about how much of this is an age effect, you know, and that is... As you get older, maybe people just get tired of mandatory fun. Well, I think I, that's why I asked John the question. I think he reflects what I'll call the mega trend in this area, which is your 23-year-old just out of college working with a bunch of other single 23-year-olds. Chances they will run like a pack at Friday happy hours yeah. and want to have a lot of fun, very high. Yeah. Chances a bunch of 45-year-olds want to do that, not so high. What's yeah. the difference? Because the 45-year-olds went through that phase yeah. and realized, yeah. you know what? If you value your job, go make friends somewhere else. Yeah. You know, Be friendly mm-hmm. to your coworkers, mm-hmm. but you know, come Friday, 7 o'clock, you're doing mm-hmm. something else. You know, I, it's interesting you should say that. I remember this place I worked, and when I was there, everybody was in their early 20s, and it was a party every night. Yeah. I came back like five years later. And the parties were over. And uh, part of the reason is people got married, yeah. they got older, they got other yeah. obligations. You know, these are kind of just age effects. Yeah. But let's talk about the methods an employer might want to do to build Ooh. team building, et cetera. Oh, okay. So we're going to go positive for a bit. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. Be practical, too. And speaking you, of practical, let me just remind folks you're listening to In the Workplace. 
I'm Peter Capelli. We're here with Dan O'Mara, and we're always doing both fun and practical things on this show. Because so, we are fun, practical people. There you go. Okay. Go. You gave an almost quintessential, quintessential example, oh. a really good example Ooh, thank you. of what you don't want to do if you're looking to build teams and collaboration, which is two talking heads. First, the CEO, so you yeah. can deduct it, yeah. and then the comedian, everybody's there to see. Yep. Okay, not, those, not only does it make the CEO look like a drip by comparison, That's true. but you're all just sitting there. You might as well be watching TV in your yes. own homes. Right. Okay, it's, right. it's, it's true. not yeah. team building. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about other things. What about, well, bowling, it seems to me, it's some mm. could be somewhat competitive, mm-hmm. but anyone who cares that much about bowling is probably a tool anyway. So I'm thinking <laughs> bowling can be a good way for people to collaborate. By the way, if you're with the American Bowling Association, here's our number, one eight four four Wharton one eight four four nine four two seven eight six. Bowling people would say... O'Mara is right. You know, you can have fun bowling. You don't have to get mad at your coworkers. There you go. How about, I'll give you another example okay. of what you don't want to do. How about something, how about paintball? Yeah. Paintball wars. Oh, okay. Yeah. Isn't that fun? They, uh, and for you younger younger <laughs> listeners, if there are any, uh, <laughs> nobody heard of paintball as of about 1989. <laughs> and all of a sudden, everybody was doing it, and, and businesses going to corporate retreats, team building retreats. Yeah. And you, you form two teams, and then you, you try shoot to kill, each other. You shoot each other. Yeah. Like you really want to in the workplace, but you get to do it, but it's just paint. And then you come capsules. back together, and it's really better. Yeah. <laughs> and what, what, why paintball fell out of favor for for companies that want to actually enhance relationships? They were finding that the the really sweet accountant accountant folks were like coming out from behind the tree, and then the salespeople just blow them up and laugh and run away. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was actually reinforcing empowered our, already uh, yeah. <laughs> already uh, tense relationships. Well, yeah, especially reinforcing uh, division. So here's one of the yeah. things that we know uh, about this: if you actually wanted to improve relations with social events, uh, one of the things you have to do is, as Adam was suggesting earlier, uh, you have to do the opposite of this homophily stuff where people hang together. Yeah. you got to consciously break them up. Yeah, so, don't let people form their own teams or they'll form teams with their, their right. best friends in the Ab- workplace. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, here's something simple that um, we found at parties works astonishingly well, and it's remarkably simple. You just walk around and introduce people to each other. Right? Because mm-hmm. most people are kind of afraid. They don't want to yeah. talk. It's awkward, you know. And just find one thing about them that you can say to the other person. And particularly if you think it's something in common, which is what makes people like sure. each other, is they find things in common, right? Uh, you have to break up that homophily. You can't just expect that nice shrimp will make the party terrific, right? Yeah. Um, you have to do some, actually do something to, to make it happen. Um, but figuring out what that thing is is you know, probably consultants tricky. and advisors that have a lot more good tips about this. Ooh. But let me throw this out, Peter. Go. Uh, do you set up an event where you can have spouses there? Spouses are significant others. Yeah. Do you set up an mm. event where kids are there? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I'd say tricky, right? Well, on because, both levels, yeah. But especially with kids, right? Because yeah. what if your kids start fighting with their kids, yeah. right? Or you're having a game and it doesn't end nicely. You're yeah. bringing the playground into the office, right? Yeah. And this issue of the boundaries blur and conflicts on one side yeah. spill over to the other. And, yeah. um, you know, that's you know that's problematic. And what do you gain from it? Well, I suppose you, 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 you do humanize things yeah. a bit. Um, and you can play a fun game of trying to guess who's married to whom, right? 
uh, until you see them together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does humanize individuals. But I think <coughs> if the idea is to get the employees closer together, bringing their family there keeps them apart, right? They're hanging with their family and kids. They're yeah. not interacting yeah. with other folks, right? So that doesn't doesn't work all that well uh, in terms of trying to get people to to bring together. So you got to do something that mixes them up uh, intentionally and makes them, you know, interact mm-hmm. with each other. So uh, Teresa's calling us from uh, Washington, D.C., and it looks like, Teresa, you've had some experience with this in the military, huh? Hi, how are you? We are good. Tell us about your mandatory fund. Uh, well, I just retired from the military okay. as a colonel, and, you know, been subject to military funds since I was about 26 years old. Okay. And um, um, just like you said before, you know, at 4.30, going to the old club. Um, and sometimes we didn't like it. Um, sometimes we did like it. But it really found that it was camaraderie building mm. for us uh-huh. because it gave us a chance to get to know our peers and our superiors. Okay. Um, yeah. So, because, you know, um, the Army is such a competitive environment. Yeah. And um, it gave us a chance to kind of size people up also. Okay. Um, but, of course, um, but of course, some, there was always a watchful eye on us on, well, how many drinks have you had? Yeah, okay, right, you know, right. Maybe that person. Right, yeah. right. So, let me ask you, Teresa, what actually happens, though? So, you go to the officers club, and there are people there who outrank each other, Um what happens? I mean, do people hang separately or do people, somebody make people mingle? Is everybody watching what the senior officer there does? I mean, what happens? Well, so um, we do stay within our ranks, you know. Okay. Um, the second lieutenants, the first lieutenants, the captains, the majors. Okay. Um, and you do mingle with your boss, of course. You okay. Know? So, a little bit. For example, as a company commander, you know, that's a captain. Um, you could have three or four second lieutenants or first lieutenants. Okay. And, of course, you know, I want to hang with the commander. And, you know, and then the company commanders want to spend some time with the battalion commander. You know, so. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so um, so we do stay within our ranks, but yet. Yeah. Okay. It's a great time for us to actually get some coaching and mentoring because, again, mm-hmm. We change jobs in the military about every two years, mm-hmm. and you can't just go apply for a job, okay. which I made that mistake. Um, your commander actually will either recommend you for a job and kind of make that call for you. Okay. Because if you're an officer and if you happen to go and say, oh, I hear they're looking for an operations officer, I'm going to go talk to that guy. Mm-hmm. Well, that guy's going to call um, your boss, and then um, your boss and give you a call and go, uh, why did you do this without my permission? (laughs) Mm -hmm. So this is, uh, I think what we would describe this as, is this is schmoozing opportunity, right? Uh, Where you can can schmooze people if you you want. Now, how much of this was alcohol-induced, Teresa? Well, first of all, there's alcohol there. Uh But as military officers, you know, we do have to maintain our bearing. Yeah. And so, of course, you know, one or two drinks were acceptable, but that was about it. Okay. And um, smoking was really looked down upon. So, yeah. Hmm. 
Okay. Well, interesting. Glad that worked out, and uh, glad you guys weren't just sitting around playing pinochle. That that sounds uh, sounds like more fun. Uh, Emily's calling us from Portland uh, and has an idea about what might work and experience that work for them. Emily, you're calling from which Portland are you calling from? Portland, Oregon, Portland, Maine. The one out west. Okay. All right. So it's early for you. Excellent. It is. Yeah. You know, I just have to say first, you guys make what can be a pretty dry topic every single week so much fun. You make me laugh and smile. So oh, how thank nice. You. Right. Thank you, Mom. <laughs> we make human resources <laughs> fun. We say that. We didn't know we actually did it oh, until there just you go. now. Well, thank you, thank you. Can you imagine, right? That's- don't stop. You guys don't leave this channel ever. Oh, very good. Good. Um, thank you, Emily. Yeah, so I had a really great experience um, with team building when I was living in Manhattan. Okay. And our team went to a professional kitchen that was oriented toward groups, you know, with a real chef. Mm -hmm. And the team prepared their own dinner. Yep. And each person took part in, you know, either the appetizer or the entree or whatever. And then we had this beautiful dinner together that we prepared. Mm. Oh, so each each of you did part of it. Exactly. So it was like an hour and a half of prep and like an hour, hour and a half of dinner and mingling. So it was just a lovely thing. And I have to tell you, it's one of the most memorable things because it took a little budget, Mm -hmm. but they made us custom embroidered aprons. Oh, that's and right. So you oh, nice. That apron, and it's like every time I look at it, I think of what a great idea that uh-huh. was. Yeah. Now, so what, it was collaborative, but it yeah. wasn't competitive. There you go. Exactly. Yeah, and we, they, you know, you just get to chat during, and you talk yeah. about food or cooking, and it was just like no stress. So, Emily, there wasn't like a big fight over cardamom use or anything like that. You know, you idiot. No, no black because, pepper on that. <laughs> no. No, the chef. <laughs> So, well, you know, I I don't know, with the boss or someone, you know, they select different foods to make. And then, of course, they have the appropriate ingredients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Emily, that sounds terrific. Next time, invite us. Be happy to be here. Thanks for calling, Emily. And um, bye bye. uh, It's funny you should say that because we had a serious XM retreat at my house and we had competitive pizza making. Or was it collaborative pizza making? Uh, tricky. Uh, the booth is saying tricky. Which way it was? Yeah. We so divided. Tell me about this because I wasn't there. Well, you're not serious was I employee. Invite? That's right. You're not, not a, a serious, serious employee. employee. There not you serious go. About anything. So there you go. So we had uh, we organized. Peter people. is head of station here, so he's acting like a role model. There or you go. We had uh, teams arbitrarily assigned by me yeah. um, into pizzas, and mm-hmm. they had to assemble the pizza and mm-hmm. then eat the pizza, and um, I. Uh, and I think it was an excellent, mandatory, fun event because I was in charge of it. And it involved so, more limited Sirius XM dollars than, than would yes, some other employer pre- where you get an apron or something. Right. Because and have, it, have right, chef food. Cost nothing because yes. it was at my house. Yes. <laughs> so there you go. Well, it'll be interesting to see in the next generation how this plays out. It's going to be interesting to see within any organization as the younger folks move on or up. Um, whether the, and as if an organization gets older, right, like you're not hiring people, whether it ages, whether the parties start to change, you know? Here's what I think. Go ahead. I think 30 years from now, we could have the same discussion, if we're still alive, with the same callers and the same points made and the same observations. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. some of what I, I know, I draw on from 
30 years ago when I finished law school and I used yeah. to run as a pack with my mm-hmm. fellow associates at happy hours. This isn't uh, like lawyers, a millennial. I, I must say, lawyers is a pack. It's a, it's a wild we idea. We were so fun. You wouldn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> People looked out for, uh, in the street. They'd say, here they come. And everybody would run away. Oh, no, lawyers. No, no. no we were like fun magnets. Of We'd course. go in a bar and all of a sudden it would get all oh, crowded in there. Of course. Of course. No. But the the behaviors we're talking about this isn't like a millennial versus other people thing, which, which you've, you 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 uh, uh, diss the whole millenn- emphasis on millennial characteristics. Yes. I'm saying the whole thing where you start out thinking work should be fun. I want to be friends with my coworkers when you're 22 or 26. That sounds so cool, yeah. but then you learn from experience. Yeah, I'm really complicating things. Maybe this coworker I like, I'll keep him as a coworker yeah. I like because I got enough friends. I got what? enough distractions in my life. And why jeopardize work? Now, that's a good question about uh, raised about whether it is just because we have more outside activities and we don't care so much about the yeah. workplace anymore uh, and we have limited time to make new friends when you get older and all that kind of stuff. But when you're new into a place and everybody else around you is new and you're trying to make connections, maybe – Yeah, that, that's true because you can move happens. to a new town for a new job and start at the same time as 20 other people. Right. It's just natural. You're going to hang together. These are the only people yeah. you know in town, yeah, you know? Yeah, sure. No, and you probably have sure. similar interests, similar yeah. educational yeah. backgrounds, similar yeah. – yeah. Some are socioeconomic, so demographic. Here's a here's what we've learned, I think, about uh, mandatory fun. Let's see if okay. we could sum up. Uh, one of the things we've learned is it can be a really bad idea. <laughs> it can blow up. <laughs> uh, it crowds your uh, your personal life. Right, you're yeah. supposed to be there at time that otherwise would be off. It's quite likely, unless you manage it. That people are just going to hang together. It's possible in groups they already yeah. talk to. It's possible it's just going to be worked by another name. Now, that's not a disaster, but it is uh, not the greatest thing. So what might you do differently? I think trying to f- make people integrate in ways that they hadn't before, talk to people they hadn't met before, work together on something collectively that might be kind of fun and not competitive. Thoughtful planning matters. Right. You don't want, I think, these mandatory fun things to be ones where they get super competitive, right? Yep. Uh, But the lesson is, if you're in one of these where they're super competitive, here's a tip, particularly for you younger listeners, let the boss win. (laughs) (laughs) That's your advice? Kiss up? Really? Absolutely. Folks, we're done. See you next week. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.